Welcome to season four of the Empowering Women podcast, a production of the Empowering Women in Industry organization. Together, we will hear from ambitious and inspiring career women as they share their stories of success in overcoming career challenges. I'm Charlie Matthews, founder of Empowering Women, and I'm proud to introduce our host, Shannon Bumgarner from Fire. Welcome to the Empowering Women podcast. I am your host, Shannon Baumgartner, and welcome to episode number nine of season four. The number nine, well, it reminded me of nine innings of a baseball game. Fortunately for all of us, and most of all me, this episode is unlike the often final ninth inning, certainly not the last episode of our fun season number four. I love so much spending time with our supportive, empowering women family and our fabulous guests. But it is one of the last episodes of the summer of 2022, and we have the perfect guests for our parents and guardians out there who are looking to engage their children in STEM. STEM, in my completely biased opinion, is the best learning ground to engage our kiddos in their curiosity and preparing them for an enriching long-term career journey. It is why we are so lucky to have Erin Twomley join us in this episode. Erin is an award-winning children's book author and educator. Through her educational consulting group, STEM Superheroes, Erin leads hands-on encounters for kids focused on the topics of science, technology, engineering, and math, of course, often referred to as STEM. As fellow STEM lovers, Erin and I have so much fun in this episode where we hear more about Erin's journey, which brought her to this incredibly amazing career. We learn more about STEM superheroes, her mission, and how they engage children in STEM. We discuss how she shares the stories of STEM superheroes and how we should all participate in sharing our own stories. So, hang on to your seat as we dive into all things STEM. Grab your notebook to capture the gems of how we can inspire the next generation to own their curiosity and find their love of STEM. See you on the other side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another marvelous episode of the Empowering Women podcast. We will be releasing this episode in August, which for our parents out there is back to school season. So if you're, you know, you'll be getting back in the groove again and you'll be focused on that learning journey for all those amazing small humans in your home. And then that journey, I'm sure, is crazy over the August and September time frame. But it's no better time than to dive into the world of STEM, which I selfishly think is the best learning experience. And today's guest, Erin Twomley, well, she loves all things STEM. She's another sister in STEM with me, for sure. So Erin is an award-winning children's book author and educator. Through her consulting group, STEM Superheroes, which I love that title, by the way, (laughs) Erin. She leads hands-on encounters for kids and writes publications focused on topics of science, technology, engineering, and math, 
often referred to as STEM. So welcome, Erin, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk with parents and educators that might be listening. Yeah, absolutely. So STEM is uh, my passion, as you've probably figured out. So this is going to be a fun recording for both of us, I think. But I know our audiences, they've got to be excited to learn more about you. So tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you to where you are today. So I'm Erin Twomley. I'm a children's book author and I'm an educator by training. And one of the challenges I always had as an educator and even a parent of littles was finding books that had diverse and modern day role models for my kids. And really I'm talking about women. I kept picking up tons of children's books that were talking about science, technology, engineering, and math. And they were profiling men or even featured sometimes just illustrations and animal characters that were all men that were all male. And I kept thinking to myself, how can we share the stories of women that I know in my life, women that are working on solving some of the biggest problems and challenges like fast fashion, the overuse of plastic, um, renewable energy, addressing things like climate change. So I really set out on this kind of journey of writing to kind of showcase some of the stories that I knew existed out there and provide opportunities as well for teachers to share these stories in their classroom. So I've been writing children's books since about 2015. So over the past seven years, full time, I've worked with a variety of different publishers. But I do focus on nonfiction and books that are focused on STEM. I love what you're saying about representation. As the audience knows, has an engineering degree. And I remember having that conversation with my parents when I was a junior, senior in high school about wanting to go to engineering school. And my parents uh, were very supportive. But I, I remember the first reaction was, what? You want to do what? (laughs) So I think what you're doing is helping to get rid of those biases with children and teachers and and parents with the children at an early age. And then for their parents to say, oh, these things really, they are possible um, for, in this case, my daughter in particular, right? Yes, exactly. And my books are targeted just so that I'm cleared at that elementary school level. So I'm talking nine to 12 year olds. I really want to show exposure younger. And the research proves that when you do that, that actually increases both the interest and the confidence, especially for young girls when they see um, female role models. And so that's really exciting. And I think books are a powerful tool, like you said, not only for kids, but sometimes for care caregivers, sometimes for parents and family members who might not be familiar with some of these areas or job opportunities that didn't exist when they were kids. Yeah, we had back in season three, we did, there's a a lady by the name of Abby that started an organization here in the local Charlotte, North Carolina area called Raising Smart Girls. Ah. And it's really focused on that younger set of folks. But what I really learned from her was She has as much influence on the caregivers as she has on the children. So we often think about girls in STEM. Obviously, that's important. But it's not the only the girl you're trying to influence. It's those key adults in their life to help support them along the way. So I, I love both of those. Yes, I think that's so important. If you ask people what the top five energy jobs are today, I don't think many caregivers could name them, right? They might be able to name things in oil and gas, 
but they might not name things like a solar installer, which is one of the fastest growing jobs. Actually, I don't know what the top five are. Do you mind sharing it? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, solar installer is one of the top wind technician, project development managers. So actually like working on the development side. um, Okay. Uh, like a renewable energy farm, for example, is right. a big one. Then there's the finance part, the investment part, and then there's the real estate part, which okay. oftentimes those three, right, aren't considered maybe necessarily like the technical jobs in the field. But these are the jobs that are happening because how do you sell a house that has solar panels on it? What are those, va- what's the value of those solar value panels? Value prop. That's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I love that you, it sounds like you started your career as an educator, found some gaps in what you were saying and what you could learn about yourself and, and share with your littles. So tell us a bit more about your consulting group, STEM Superheroes. Like what's the purpose of your organization and what are the different ways you carry out that purpose? So besides just being an author, I knew I wanted to make an impact both in the home and in the classroom. So STEM Superheroes is my consulting organization. And what we really aim to do is go beyond the book, we like to say. We aim to provide resources, whether that be hands-on things like coloring books in the future. We're working on posters, printables, and or just lesson ideas, things that you could take back to your classroom or even to do at home and provide those resources to parents out there so that if you wanted to learn more about electricity, you could learn what it is to create a circuit and how do you create a circuit and what types of things do you need, for example. And so we really focus on that kind of interactive encounter part. Um, We do a lot of work with the Girl Scouts. So we work with the USA Girl Scouts and Girl Scouts overseas, for example. We do a lot of work at local libraries who are running STEM and makerspace programs. We do work in after school settings and helping just students and teachers, whether we're directly um, leading some of these programs or we're just training um, staff. We um, want to encourage kind of these hands-on activities. And I think the best part about STEM superheroes really is a lot of our partners. So we have some of the best nonprofits and leading educators who are teaching others about STEM and actually doing this on a, a very massive scale, right? They might be teaching 300 teachers in a day versus oh, the goodness. that I mean, uh, that I could reach, for example. So I think the, the power of STEM superheroes is that there's a whole network of people, whether you're on the role model side as a STEM professional, whether you're a student who's interested in the STEM, whether you're an educator who wants to kind of spark more curiosity and learn more. We have resources for you. We have information for you. And we really aim to kind of be a network and a connection point for those that are working at the elementary school level on STEM. I'm just curious, how did you find those partnerships? Because it sounds like there are larger organizations that have a little bit, maybe more capacity than you might have. Yeah, so I think the top three partners, and I'll just give them a shout out here, would be KidWind, which runs um, wind and solar hands-on curricula and training for students. Um, So there's a regional, state, and then national competitions where students are creating wind turbines, changing their design, figuring out their blade design. Super awesome organization, great to get involved with. The NEED Project 
big shout out to the Need Project because they filled the gap years ago of curricula and it's all free. So if you're mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to teach energy specifically or climate change in your classroom, they have downloadable K through 12 curriculum with information, with slides, with Google packets, with hands-on activities. And then um, last but not least, I think the partnership that has grown with us the most is probably the After School Alliance. And okay. that's a network that serves over 25,000 programs across the United States. So imagine any Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, anybody running an after school club, they're part of this after school alliance. And so by partnering with them, we actually get to get into the classroom at a different time of day. And oftentimes right. when kids get to choose what they do after school, they might get to select they're in a robotics club, they might get to select they're in a coding club, right? And so we get to reach students kind of in a classroom setting, but in an informal way. Right. And so having some of these partnerships really enables our reach to have a bigger impact. It means our books go to wider and broader audiences because they get to go direct to students and teachers. Yeah. I'm curious, especially maybe in the after school programs, does it help you get into marginalized communities? And really the reason for my question is one of my aha moments is while the representation of women and engineering is not where it needs to be. And it's really been relatively static for the last 15 to 20 years. It's even worse for women of color. So I'm just curious, how do you, how do you or your partners help you connect with more marginalized communities? Yeah, that's such an, a great and important question, because I think actually, if you look across any and all STEM fields outside of medicine, the representation of not only women, but people from underrepresented and diverse backgrounds is staggering, especially when you look at mm. the rate of schooling that women get. Mm. So I think one of the most important things that we have to realize is that there are communities and the way that we reach communities might look different, right? So part of the challenge of doing a teacher to classroom model is that you are getting the teachers who have the time, who have the support, right, who have a planning to learn something new and bring that to their students. And unfortunately, sometimes that means you're not reaching the communities that you want to reach. So the after school program, yes, generally supports students that are on free and reduced lunch, hmm. generally students that don't have other private options for after school. So it does allow us to reach the communities of both girls and boys, but as well as those in different um, backgrounds, those who might not speak English as a first language, mm -hmm. those who might have parents and family in the trades, for example, and also communities that are in rural areas where resources mm -hmm. and energy education programs or STEM programs might not be as prolific. I grew up in a rural small town. There was no robotics team. There was no coding team because we didn't have a teacher or someone who knew that and could teach that, right? So I think right. there's just a lot of barriers when, when it comes to reaching diverse populations and that sometimes we also have to expand our mindset for who we're trying to reach. And so I think after school does provide a unique opportunity for us to connect just with more communities that represent a broad diversity. I love that because we definitely need more women of color in engineering. So hopefully they're they're coming up and they're in school right now because we, we definitely need that change. So speaking of, I know you're focused on elementary school children, but I'm curious who are the few STEM superheroes in your life? Who are a couple of people that come to mind? 
Oh, that's a great question. So one is just, I'm going to say she's a historical woman, but I always like to talk about her on every podcast because she's phenomenal. Her name is Eunice Foote, F-O-O-T-E, if you want to go Google her. She is one of the first climate scientists who did greenhouse gas experiments back in the 1800s using glass jars and temperature readings. And what I really love about her as a STEM superhero is she was kind of what we as modern day scientists might call doing like, you know, makeshift science experiments at home, but she was doing the full use of the scientific method. She was collecting all of the data. She was making her observations. She was recording her observations, and then she was trying to package it and actually present it to some of the large scientific organizations that were leading at the time. So she's definitely, I think, one of my superheroes because it kind of proves to me that you can be a scientist anywhere, including in your own backyard. And I think that's really important for students to know and remember that scientists don't work in a laboratory all of the time. They don't wear a white lab coat and they might yeah. not work any or have anything to do with chemistry, for example. Right. Some other STEM superheroes, I have to give a shout out to Michelle Fox. She has been a mentor of mine, has been formerly at Department of Energy. She is just a phenomenal role model um, who does a lot of kind of research behind the scenes and support. Um, another shout out I would give would be to Michael Arquin, who is the CEO of Kidwind, I think, and what he has done in the past kind of 25 years growing these challenges of building wind turbines from something small in a classroom to now on a national stage mm. where they are literally over 300 teams and schools are competing, showcasing their wind turbine designs. I think it's pretty phenomenal to watch somebody take their passion and grow it in that way. Yeah, those are some great ones. And I had not heard of Miss Foot, so I definitely need to look her up. I think we we touched on this earlier, but I want to dive on it a little bit deeper. So you mentioned on the outset when you started your children's book series, you really decided you to focus on women. And we touched on it a little bit. If you don't mind expanding on that, and then what is the impact of sharing that those stories with boys? So obviously we're trying to influence girls, but I think we're also trying to do a mindset shift a bit. So I think one of the most important things that I have to say is that as a storyteller, I have a lot of power, but there's also a lot of trust given to me, right? To be able to share other people's stories and share it in a way that a 10-year-old can understand it, which sometimes can be super challenging, right? <laughs> yeah, I had a conversation be. with a nuclear engineer and my knowledge of nuclear engineering was semi-limited, right? And so right. I said, I'm going to ask you questions like I'm a 10-year-old so that you can explain it to me, right? And it took us a lot of iterations and interviews and reviewing to be like, we don't want to remove the science, right? We don't want to remove that that kind of substance, but we have to explain it in a way that's going to connect with kids. So I, it's always an important reminder kind of for me to thank my superheroes and the women who want to amplify and share their stories because it is a big ask, right? All of a sudden their name becomes Googleable. All of a sudden their LinkedIn and their Instagram grows, right? They now have an illustration. They're, they're featured. And I always get this question, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I always get this question from adults. Well, what about boys? Or why can't we just call this a book for kids? Or does it matter, you know, that it only showcases women? And I would say, first and foremost, that little boys and girls, when they pick up this, any of my books and they feature women, don't actually ever say to me, where's the boys? 
right? Right. So what okay. that actually means is that adults notice it. Adults are concerned about it. And we're pushing that concern onto kids. What kids want to see are awesome stories of problem solvers, of the next engineers, of the next designers. And they want to know what problems they're solving. And they want to know how they got there, right? So whether that's the education pathway or their interest pathway. And then I think on top of that, they want to see women that look like them. And I think it's important for young boys to see that their colleagues, their leaders, their mentors, their managers, right, are women, can be women, and will be women. So I think it's just as important for young boys to see that there are women in these male-dominated industries so that it becomes normalized for them. And that's also normalized for caregivers, right? If you look at right. the power line technician industry, for example, it's mm. heavily male-dominated. Oh, sure. It is a great trades job, right? In terms of um, both pay, but also just you know, reliability. It's, you know, outdoors, it gets you problem solving, it gets you traveling and moving all around, but it's heavily, heavily, heavily male dominated. And so until other, you know, men and power line technicians see a space for women as well, and can acknowledge that there's a space and help that grow, we're going to be at a continued gap. Right. And right. so I think the impact for young boys is that they get to see awesome role models that look like women and caregivers that might be in their life. And that it's important for them to know that women and girls can be leaders, managers, technicians, that we can do it all. It, it's really funny you say that. So you brought two things to mind. The first one was I, I, I'll give a shout out here to an organization called Project Scientist. So um, I was a STEM superstar for them. So part of that was to tell my story. And so as I was preparing a couple of slides that I, of course, want to make heavily visual, right? I thought about how do you, because they have different age groups and some of the children are very young, like early mm -hmm. to mid elementary school age. And I thought, how do you tell them what a chemical engineer does and mm -hmm. why you chose to be a chemical engineer. And, and I think I love what you're doing, Erin, because I really struggle with that. I'm like, how mm -hmm. do you tell this in a language that's interesting to them, but doesn't lose its science punch to it? Yes. So I, I was laughing when you were telling that story because it was, it was the hard, it seemed like the hardest thing to do. It, it really is. I mean, honestly, I have talked to some of the smartest women leaders, CEOs, and explaining what they do to a kindergartner is probably one of the most challenging things they'll do in their life. And they might go on to solve some of the greatest challenges and problems, right? But yeah. I think it's an important reminder, right? I think for also us as STEM professionals that if we can explain what we do to kids at a younger age, we are just going to increase that interest and that confidence, right? Yep. And so the earlier we can do that and the earlier we can take that, right, in the professional world, that elevator pitch and make right. that accessible to kids, the more that opportunities are going to open up. And it's truly kind of a challenge, but there's, I think, professionals who want to do it. And I think there's storytellers like myself and educators who can help you do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think all of us, that's like my middle note to self. I need to go work on my kindergartner level elevator pitch as to why I became an engineer. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the, the other thing that you made me think about was a few years ago, as part of a, a women's employee resource group, 
we did take our daughters and sons to work day. And obviously as part of a women's employee resource group, we were a little bit more focused on the female experience, but we had a long conversation about how are you really inclusive as part of that? And if you only offer it to girls, Mm -hmm. albeit girls don't are typically as conditioned as if you will, to want to look at those the types of fields. So I work for a manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. Well, what we decided was exactly what you came to. So we we actually had girls and boys at the at the event, but every leader that we had was a female leader. So we we really highlighted, oh, like we had a VP of engineering that was a woman, right? Mm-hmm. We had a head of operations that was a woman, right? So it was very intentional. So I love what you say because I think it helps people get rid of their un- unconscious bias at a younger, much younger age. And so I, it was interesting when you said that. I was like, yeah, we went through that same thought process. Yeah. And I think what's important for people to remember, right, is that a lot of times when there's a panel, meaning a panel that's all men and right. a lot of times all white men, or there's a great you know conversation about women and there's, you know, three panelists are men and two are women and the moderator is a man is that sometimes it's just that there's not intentionality, right? And when you don't have intentionality, what happens sometimes is you end up having more men and you end up having, because naturally within networks or connections, you know, they might have a a stronger presence or come to the top in terms of who people know. So I think what's really important about that unconscious bias is that the intentionality is what matters to make sure that you are showcasing that diversity and showcasing that there are opportunities, right, for kids. And that then intentionality, although can seem really small, it can just absolutely crush whatever intention you had. (laughs) Interesting. Yep. And then the third place you really hit me was a power line technician. So in my day job, I work for um, a larger HVAC manufacturer. So like HVAC technician, as you can imagine, yes. is, is sim- very similar to what you just described. It's it's very much more of a male-dominated field. And I know our company has struggled really trying to get diversity in, even in sales roles, quite frankly, like technical sales roles. And then you get into the HVAC technician role and it's it's even more difficult. So it's really, I love what you're doing, exposing not only the engineering trades or maybe like the chemist, scientist type trades, but also those power line technician, HVAC technician type trades. Yeah, there's a lot of trades jobs, right? There's electrical um, technicians, there's instrumentation technicians, right? They work on all sorts of, there's heavy equipment operators, right? There's just construction workers, there's installers, right? And so I think sometimes what happens is that we don't show those role models and we don't show who those people are behind the scenes. And I would say even like for your company, I would start with a campaign on what is an HVAC? Because I can guarantee you, if you ask a 10-year-old what HVAC stands for, they probably don't have an idea. They'll come up with something really curious and interesting for you, right? Right. But if kids also don't know this terminology, which is why it's important to not say, well, let's not use HVAC. Let's just use something else. I would say, no, you want to use the term HVAC, but you just have to break that down and connect it, right, right, to students and kids so that they can relate to it. And so- Give students the information, give students those job opportunities, expose them so that they can learn. And then they too will be those future technicians, installers, et cetera, that we need. Yeah, I tell you, I'm become, I'm I'm still really much on the baby side of this journey, but 
I really want, even though I didn't pursue a, a path in the trades, it's something I really want to push because I, mm-hmm. I've seen that, you know, sometimes the four-year degree doesn't quite have the return on investment. It did for me, but for some people it just doesn't. And, or maybe that's just not in the financial budget for that person or their family. And I just think there's such an amazing world out there with the trades. It's very lucrative. I mean, you can make a really good life for yourself and your family. It's very rewarding. And I think it's really something we need to even push harder. And I know there's some great organizations out there doing that. And like you said, I think it's the more we can tell the story of what these jobs are and that you can sustain your family on them and that they are part of our future and they are helping to solve some of our biggest problems that we will make those connection points with kids. So obviously, often we think about these books in engineering or chemistry, but your books, they they cover broader fields. Is that correct? Yes. So we've got books. We talk about um, jobs in climate change and climate tech. We talk about jobs in specifically STEM, but um, jobs that might be unfamiliar. So somebody like a vertical farmer. So what is a vertical (laughs) farm that's actually growing food and vegetables, usually um, in vertical, literal vertical rows. And sometimes they use, you know, hydroponic systems. So they're using less water. Sometimes they use soil. Sometimes, you know, there's a variety of things, but I think vertical farming and what's happening in agriculture is a super interesting kind of STEM world. And then you add on to that the robotics that's happening. So I just met with a robotics engineer who's designing robots that would pick strawberries. And she's literally trying to figure out like, how does a how does a robot know if the strawberry is ripe, right? What features does it have to have? Does it have to have a camera to see? You know, is there coloring? Also the size of a strawberry, does the claw need to grab it? And then how much pressure and force does a claw need to grab a strawberry so it doesn't smush it, but it actually gently puts it off and then puts it into a bucket and then think about, okay, um, how does the robot know when the bucket is full and what do they do with the, with the right? So there's just so many things I think happening and that's just agriculture, right? Two small examples of things that are happening in agriculture. Of course, you have all the traditional kind of technology jobs that I think kids are fascinated by because they're exposed to it all the time, right? A coder, an animator, you know, a 3D animator, somebody who's working on any kind of piece of technology. But Really, what we kind of want to do in these books is showcase some of those jobs that you aren't familiar with. I've also got a book called Capturing Cow Farts and Burps. So that's all about (laughs) methane gas. Yeah, right. Yeah. Moms and dads, I did talk about burps and farts, but kids love it. And there's so much science behind it because you get them thinking about how do you capture a greenhouse gas that you can't see and that you can't smell and has no taste? How do we, right? How do we get methane? And then what can we do with it? Can we burn it and turn it into electricity? Awesome, right? Can we use it for houses? Can we use it for trains? Can we use it for, there's a variety of of things. So we really kind of want to push the envelope. We've also got um, an amazing textile engineer that we feature in a book. So how are you thinking about fast fashion? What clothes are made out of? Clothes for people with physical disabilities. So we often think of zippers and buttons in the front. Well, what if you have a physical disability? That means you need the placement of those zippers and buttons to be elsewhere to enable you to get dressed, right? So there's all sorts of design thinking that's happening in our world. And I think if we can get kids to think about what problems do you want to solve when you grow up? 
I think that's going to get them on the right mindset to sparking their own curiosity and making sure that they're on a path that enables them to be successful. I love that. So what problems are you going to solve when you grow up? Like what really grabs you, right? Yeah. There's a lot out there to solve. And I didn't actually know what vertical farming was. So I was like, oh, she's <laughs> going to describe it. That's probably a good thing. I was picturing it in my brain, but I'm like, I'm not 100% sure what it is. Yes, it is literally that. And typically vertical farms are growing like green vegetables, like lettuce and spinach and things. Some of the largest vertical farms. There's one in Dubai. It grows all the leafy vegetables for Emirates Airlines. Um, mm-hmm. There's one in Massachusetts that grows leafy vegetables all year round. So Massachusetts is cold. There's winter, right? But you can go right. get fresh lettuce in the middle of January in the mm-hmm. middle of Massachusetts. So, you know, they're solving some of like our basic everyday problems that sometimes we don't even think about. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm going to like finish up with one uh, one final question. And you made me think about it when you said when I interview these folks are really kind of putting themselves out there. Mm -hmm. So how do we encourage the STEM superheroes to share their stories, either through your books or just in the classroom or in different ways? How do we encourage them to do that? I think one of the most important things is that all superheroes have different skill sets and the way that you want to share your story might look drastically different. So you might not be comfortable being in a children's book and having yourself (laughs) illustrated, but you might be comfortable reading at your kid's school library, right? To even just their class. You might be comfortable being a pen pal. There's an awesome program out there called Letters to a Pre-Scientist, where if you're a STEM professional, you can actually, so even though it's called Letters to a Pre-Scientist, they take Beyond Scientists and you actually correspond with a middle school student for a year via good old fashioned letter writing and mail and stamps, right? So maybe writing is your way. Maybe you have an Instagram feed or you love social media and you love photography and you could actually show kids what you do and you're allowed to take pictures of you when you're climbing a wind turbine, for example, or when you're in an HVAC and fixing something, you know? So I think there's a variety of ways that you can tell your story. And I think what's most important is just figuring out the best way for you to tell your story that jives with your skill set and kind of what you want to do. But I will promise you this, classrooms, libraries, Girl Scout troops, and Boy Scout troops are always looking for volunteers and folks like you to share your career. So don't hesitate to reach out to them and say, hey, I would love to come and share a little bit about what I do in my career. I I love it. And I can't believe that our episode is coming to a close, Erin. I've just really enjoyed this time. I've learned so much for you in the short time we spent together. So where can folks find you and where can they purchase your books and your materials? I think the best website to go to is stemsuperheroes.com. You'll find everything about kind of our efforts to inspire elementary kids. You'll find links for our books. You'll find a link about me um, and, and kind of the efforts that we have undergoing. If you look anywhere that you can buy a book, you will also find the books, the Everyday Superhero series. We've got books on renewable energy, capturing cow farts and burps. So we're on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, you name it, and you'll be able to find it. And hopefully you can bring some silly science into your classroom, your student or your kid's classroom this fall. Yep. So I'm going to end in there and silly science. I love that. But I'm going to end with what really grabbed me, which is teacher 
kids or the young 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 humans in your life about what problems you want to solve when you grow up. I think that is so fun and thoughtful to ask. So thank you, Aaron, so much for spending some time with us here at Empowering Women in Industry. We're thankful that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk today. And I wish everyone a successful school year and looking forward to meeting more STEM superheroes in the future. Yep, absolutely. See you next month, everybody. Hello, audience. Are we all feeling stemtastic now or what? I know I am. I feel so energized by Erin's calling. She is truly influencing our next generation of STEMinists. Erin is such an inspiration for our younger generation in opening up this whole brand new world. To find more STEM superheroes to inspire your kids or your classroom, check out the book series, Everyday Superheroes, co-authored by Erin. These books are published by Wise Inc., and share the stories, careers, and superpowers of modern-day women or superheroes. The first book, it features STEM superheroes in careers from animator to zoologist. It's entitled, Everyday Superheroes, Women in STEM Careers. The second book in the series, entitled Everyday Superheroes, Women in Energy Careers, was just released in July of 2022. Co-authors Aaron Twomley and Joshua Snydman teamed up with business author and CEO of Ally Energy, Katie Mirnert, to bring this book to life, featuring energy superheroes. The third book in the series, it focuses on energy careers being imagined. You can visit www.stemsuperheroes.com to find stories and more. I will include this link in the show notes, as well as links to the books. So to meet some amazing superheroes in person, join us for our annual Empowering Women in Industry Conference to be held in New Orleans, Louisiana on October 13th, 2022. Early bird registration is open, so grab your tickets today. I've put the link in the show notes. It is going to be the event of the season. If you are new to our Empowering Women in Industry community, welcome to the best group of amazing leaders. You can find links to the Empowering Women website in the show notes. In the event section, you can also register for our monthly meetups. These are informal events to interact with our wonderful community. Finally, you can also engage virtually on the Empowering Women Slack channel, Link for the Slack channel is also included in the show notes. So many ways to get involved. And finally, on your favorite podcast platform, please like us and provide a positive review. This will allow more listeners to find their way toward our brave community of STEMinists. As we close this episode, think about what STEM superhero has influenced or inspired you. Who's made you want to do more? Go farther and rise to your highest potential. Eunice Newton Foote, she is Aaron's favorite historical STEM superhero. One of my favorites, as I mentioned during our conversation, is Mae Jemison. 
Maywell, she's just an absolute rock star. If you didn't know this, she is the first African-American woman to travel in space. There's also a book entitled May Among the Stars by Rada Ahmed. That's a beautiful story inspired by Mae Jemison. One of May's more famous quotes is this. Don't let anyone rob you of your imagination, your creativity, or your curiosity. It's your place in the world. It's your life. Go on and do all you can with it and make it the life you want to live. So my brave audience, go forth, embrace your creativity and curiosity. Make it the life you want to live. Ignite your fire within because I promise you it will ignite the fire within others. So until next time, be STEM strong.